Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. Help us to have minds to understand, hearts to receive, and wills to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. On May the 13th, 1940, Winston Churchill delivered his first speech as Prime Minister to the House of Commons. In it, he said this, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. And so began his call to the nation for all-out war against Nazi Germany. And I should imagine that there were some there who heard that, who thought, surely not. Surely we can have some more peace talks, or keep our heads down, or do something a little less risky. Perhaps things aren't as bad as is being made out. But of course, they were. And so Churchill led the British nation on a costly road to victory that was marked with so much suffering along the way. Long before, in the face of a far greater threat, Jesus promised his disciples suffering and death and called them to give up their lives to follow him. At the heart of Jesus' call was the cross, the cross of Jesus upon which he was crucified, and the cross that he called his disciples to take up in following him. Just as this church building is, is built in the shape of a, of a cross, so too the church itself, that is the people, the followers of Jesus, are also built in a cruciform shape. There are many things that we could say about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But here, Jesus gives us the basics. Whatever else may be involved, being a disciple of Jesus Christ includes suffering, self-denial, and cross-bearing. That is the way to life. That is the route to victory. Last week in the verses immediately preceding uh, our gospel portion today... We encountered Simon Peter making his great statement about Jesus, about who he was. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you are Peter, a rock. The disciples had just come to realize who Jesus was. And now Jesus tells them what that really means. He tells them what kind of a Messiah he truly was. He also explained what it was going to entail for them, what kind of disciples they were to be. And the first thing that Jesus tells them is shocking. It is absolutely essential, he says, that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. Now, the very notion of that was incomprehensible to the disciples. Surely the words Messiah and suffering couldn't be in the same sentence unless it was to say how the Messiah was going to get rid of suffering. Surely God's Christ, God's Messiah, God's promised Savior of the world came to do away with suffering, to bring about a great victory. Jesus came to win, not to lose. 
But Jesus is unequivocal. It is absolutely necessary for me, he says. The task facing Jesus was to do what he had been sent to do, to go to Jerusalem, to suffer, die, and be raised again. But with that, there was another task, that of raising up and forming the disciples and a new community. And that new community is the church. And the way Jesus was to be this community's Messiah was through suffering. How will this be? Who will do this thing? And the answer was equally shocking. The suffering that Jesus was talking about for himself would be at the hands of the lay leaders, the senior pastors, and the Bible teachers of the day. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Now, some would see this as proof positive that Jesus was not the real deal. He couldn't possibly be who he was saying he was. And yet, as Jesus shows us here, the divinely revealed way of God's servant, which actually is attested to throughout the scriptures, was that of suffering, even to the point of death on a cross. The disciples were looking for success. Jesus promised them suffering. In the face of this, Peter, the newly appointed leader, is, well, he's outraged. And so taking up his new responsibilities as the one on whom Jesus would build his church, he takes Jesus aside and tries to set him straight. Maybe he thinks that Jesus is tired and overwrought and overreacting. Maybe he he thinks Jesus needs to be reminded of how powerful God is and how merciful and kind he is, and that it couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be his will that anyone should suffer, and most especially not the Messiah, right? I think it's hard for us to know what really prompted Peter's action. Maybe it was genuine love and concern for Jesus, but I can't help think that there might have been a hint of self-preservation too. Maybe he was thinking, if Jesus is right... It's not exactly going to make my job as the new leader of the church very easy. Or as one writer put it, I didn't become Pope for this. Well, whatever Peter was thinking, we know that whereas only moments before he had got it absolutely right about Jesus, now he gets it absolutely wrong. Peter the rock becomes Peter the stumbling block. Yes, Jesus was the Christ, but he was not the Christ they thought he was. He was the Christ who would suffer. Peter's God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you, should warn us against an easy believism or a triumphalism in the church. You may encounter preachers who will say, Follow Jesus and your life will get better. Your life will improve. Your business will flourish and you'll know health, wealth and prosperity. But Jesus never said that. He never promised that. And so Jesus turns on Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. The rightful place for every disciple of Jesus is behind him in submission to his teaching, like it or not, subject to his leading, ready or not. Our job is to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to trust Jesus, 
And disciples must always be followers more than they are leaders. Disciples need to be learners more than they are teachers. You know, in England, when you learn to drive, you have to display a big L plate in bright red on a white background on the front and the back of your car. L for learner. I think it's a good scheme. Well, it wouldn't be a bad idea for every disciple to have in mind that they too are learners. We never get to take our L-plates off. Peter had to learn early on that he was still a learner. His getting ahead of himself and in the way of Jesus on this occasion is reminiscent of what happened to Jesus in the wilderness right after he'd been baptized and he faced temptation. And I wonder whether the similar themes here prompted Jesus' strong reaction. For he knew all about temptations and where they really came from. In the wilderness, Satan said, turn these stones into bread. Jump from this tower. I'll give you the world. Jesus had been tempted to be above the ordinary, to avoid suffering, to win. Peter, who a moment earlier had been filled with knowledge from God as to who Jesus was, here is actually filled with a lie and the temptations coming to him from the devil. The rock became a slippery rock, a roadblock, a stumbling block. And Satan never plays fair. If a little man in red tights tempted us with a pitchfork, we'd probably find recognizing and resisting temptation a whole lot easier than the way that he actually comes to us, which can even be through a well-meaning friend like it was on this occasion. The issue is not so much who is suggesting something to us as what is being suggested. Every time that you or I are tempted not to follow Jesus, not to do his will, or to put ourselves first, then no matter the source, we are to resist that temptation. But what exactly had Peter done wrong? Well, Jesus is, is clear about it. He says, you are setting your mind not on the divine, but on human things. Commentator Frederick Bruner writes, Satan is the inspirer of human obsessing after greatness and success. God is the inspirer of the design concern for lowliness and service. Wow. I mean, some of you here today are just starting at university. You've got the whole life ahead of you, great careers. You're looking for success and all these good things. And, and what's the preacher saying here? Well, I guess if we take the children as an analogy, don't pay too much for your whistle. The surprising road to victory was through seeming failure. The way to life was through death. For Jesus, on a cross, literally. And when we're confronted by hard teaching or hard circumstances, I think sometimes we're tempted to ask the wrong questions. So in the face of suffering, we may ask, why does God allow this? When perhaps, as well as, or instead of, we might ask, how can I serve God and others in the midst of this? Or when faced with a hard task or some necessary change, we look often for the way to avoid hardship 
or inconvenience or to find an alternative pain-free way when instead we should ask God to help us to be faithful, to do what he asks, follow where he leads, and trust him in the midst of the difficulties. Jesus Mission and ministry was all about the cross. And from this moment on in the the Gospels, and it's there in each of them, at this moment, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem in the full knowledge of what was to come. He walked right into betrayal, desertion, loneliness, and physical, mental, and spiritual pain and abandonment, the likes of which none of us has ever known. And thank God, because of Jesus will never have to know. But in this second half of our gospel reading, in these verses 24 through 28, the way of the cross was not only the way for Jesus, but Jesus tells us is also the way that we must follow. Jesus said to his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. I want to just pause and think about this verse, and I want to say three things about it. First of all, it begins with an if. If any want to be my followers. It's an invitation. If you want to. Jesus does not compel us to follow him. We are not conscripted into his service. But if you do want to follow him, then secondly, there are things that go with that. And the overarching requirement is self-denial, which, by the way, is not giving up chocolate for Lent or going on a new diet. Self-denial is about acknowledging that it's not all about you. You are not the master of your own destiny. Rather, you are willingly to be prepared to submit to someone else being the Lord of your life, Jesus And the self-denial Jesus is talking about extends even to taking up your cross. It's not only Jesus who gets to suffer. Every follower of Jesus can expect to encounter suffering. For those first disciples, this was no mere figure of speech. It could, and for some, did mean quite literally that they would face persecution and for some even crucifixion. And this invitation to take up our crosses needs to be both passive and active. Passive <clears throat> passive in the sense that sometimes we may encounter opposition or trials and severe testing of our faith, none of which we sought, all of which we would rather not have to face. And yet rather than kick against it or run away and hide, we accept these burdens and carry on being faithful. But the phrase, take up your cross, sounds active as well. Presumably, it means more than simply bear up under. It's take it up. You may face situations in your workplace, in your communities, that are both an evil that you must bear and one that you will take on, one that you will challenge, one that you will make a stand against for justice, for righteousness. And that likely will cost you. Well, the third thing I want to say about this verse is that this invitation to take up your cross and follow Jesus is personal. Jesus invites us to follow him. He doesn't say here, follow my teachings, obey my commandments, try harder, be good. Presumably, he could have said any of those things, but those things 
our works, our efforts, our strivings must always, first and foremost, flow out of relationship. Without relationship, our best efforts are sterile and impossible hurdles over which we will trip and fall. Discipleship is personal. Discipleship is about following a person, Jesus. But how? Well, Jesus has been raised as he said he would be. He is alive now, today, and he still calls us into relationship with him. And being a disciple of Jesus happens, if I can just use for a moment our kind of tagline for our vision for this church, it happens as we worship, grow, and give. So let me explain. We follow him, we are his disciples, as we spend time in his presence, as we worship him, like we're doing this morning together, corporately, and also individually, I hope, throughout the week. We follow him as we grow, as we grow closer to him by listening to his voice, and as we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest his word given to us in the scriptures. And we follow Jesus as his disciples, as we give to him our whole selves, our very lives in love and service to him, and as we serve others. Over the past several months, a number of us have been thinking a lot about this word discipleship and what it means. I think it's a word we sometimes use without necessarily being very clear about what we mean. So we might talk about a discipleship class or Sunday school, or adult education hour. But I have to say this. Discipleship is not about an hour, or a class, or a school. It's about a whole way of life. A life where self is not first. A life where we take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, in very practical terms... There are a number of building blocks that can help us on our journeys as disciples of Jesus. And part of that most likely will include formal instruction about the Christian faith in a kind of classroom setting. But more than that, it needs also to be lived out alongside others on the journey with whom we are intentional and accountable. Indeed, that's why we place the emphasis we do at Ascension on small groups. Currently, we have about 200 people who meet regularly in small groups. But I'd love to see that number double. And if you're not in a small group, there are more than 200 people here, so obviously not everybody here is in a small group. But if you're not in a small group and you'd like to know more, please talk to me or to Anne or to Josh. Talk to us. Another key building block that I commend to you is a a one-on-one relationship, or maybe even better, just a very small group of three or four people with whom you are willing to be totally honest, to be vulnerable, to be accountable, to be transparent. And while that is a little bit scary, it's also massively rewarding and will help you beyond words. I have found all three of these ways indispensable in my own life. But more than any, after the initial teaching and all of that, is that group of three men that I meet with every week where I'm accountable. And I commend it to you. But, you know, even with all that, 
if it stays at the level of talking and studying and praying and meeting in our groups, and we never apply what we learn and what we share in our lives, then we've not understood what Jesus is talking about. The place where the rubber hits the road for the disciple of Jesus is most often in your vocation. It's in your workplace. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your home, perhaps. The alternative to following Jesus as a person who denies themselves is to be a person who puts their trust in themselves. The self-made woman, the self-made man, the person who makes their own luck in life. Well, listen to the next two verses, which Eugene Peterson translates in this way. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to find yourself, your true self. What kind of a deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? A good degree? A good job? Boatload of money? It's laughable. And Jesus is not moralizing. He's talking about life and death, as the final verses show. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come again with his angels in glory, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. That's what Jesus says. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you one of his disciples? And if not, will you hear... And respond to his call to you today to become his follower. To turn away from the notion that life is all about you. And instead put your whole trust in him. Even to the point of reorientating your whole life to Jesus. To the point of taking up your cross and following him. I should imagine that most of us here this morning are disciples of Jesus. Well, can I say this to all of us who are in that category? May we hear afresh our Lord's voice telling us to get back behind him, to set our minds on his will, not our own. For what will it profit any one of us to gain the whole world but forfeit our very souls? In the days and weeks ahead, will you keep on following Jesus, the one who is the Christ, the Messiah, the solid rock? May God help us daily to take up our crosses and follow Jesus. Amen.